Hello, everybody. Welcome back. This is Andrea Eppolito, and we are celebrating life, luxury, and above all else, love. I recently had the opportunity to sit down and have a conversation with Andy Kushner. For those of you who are not familiar with the name or are, and thank gosh, I know that he does a couple of different things, he is the founder of Kushner Entertainment, which is a company that books super talented groups all over the country. He has everything from Sound Connection to Rhythm Six, New Romance, and he's been doing this for quite some time. But about two years ago, he started this podcast where he would sit down and interview really prolific thought leaders in the wedding industry. And I was an early adopter, an early listener, and I just kept thinking to myself, gosh, this guy is like the Tim Ferriss of the wedding industry. He goes out and he deep dives with the icons of our industry, and he manages to pull out these really great, very interesting stories that kind of take you behind the curtain and give you an idea of who some of these people are. I was thrilled to sit down with him. We had a great fun chat. I am super excited about the opportunity to be on his podcast next, but until then, enjoy this conversation. Andy Kushner is absolutely amazing, and through his interviewing and his conversations and his sharing of the icons of our industry, he's turning into quite the icon himself. So enjoy this podcast. Hello, Andy. Welcome to the show. How are you today? Hey, Andrea. I'm good. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Are you kidding me? I am thrilled. As I said in the introduction about you, you are Andy Kushner. You are the founder of the Wedding Biz podcast show, and you are also an entertainer by nature. So for those who are new to the industry that are just joining us on this podcast, can you tell us a little bit about your background, how you got involved in the industry? Sure. Are you talking about the music industry or podcasts? I'd say both. I think that so many of us, especially kind of that are coming up in the industry now, really know you from the Wedding Biz show because you've done so much with that and it's been so widely received. Uh, thanks. Yeah. Well, originally I got in through my music company, Kushner Entertainment. Uh, I started that about 20-something years ago with uh, uh, first a band called Sound Connection, which got really big, and then another, Rhythm Six and Sound Nation. It just kind of kept going. And it was about three years ago, I think, that I recognized um, how much I loved interviews. And I had been listening to podcasts. A friend of mine had turned me on to them. And I was listening to shows like Tim Ferriss and Mark Maron. And I always love uh, like the past eight or 10 years of, of Howard Stern interviews. I, I think they're brilliant. And so I thought, well, geez, let me check out podcasts, you know, and I, I started listening to all these and I, I really was getting into them. And one day it just kind of occurred to me, suddenly I got this idea. I thought, well, gee, I wonder, maybe I'll do a, maybe I'll do a podcast in the event industry. And uh, a friend of mine had talked me into going to a podcast conference called PodFest, which is once a year in Orlando. It's, it's a really great podcast conference if anyone is interested in learning more about it. And everyone there was talking about how you should niche it down and all this stuff. And I started to think, well, a lot of the business I do does include weddings. And I, I think that's a great niche. And I looked up wedding podcasts. And this was, God, Andrew, this was like, well, like I say, two and a half years ago, something like that. And I, I saw some, but I kind of had another idea. I thought, what if I make this to start with a B2B kind of a podcast where 
the, the target audience would be other industry professionals. And even though I know people who do weddings will often do any other, you know, lots of other kinds of events, I thought I'm going to kind of keep it niched, although I, I can cover everything. But, um, and I thought, what if I could just interview like what I consider icons in the industry? Because I had been work, I'd work with them, I mean, with Kushner Entertainment. Um, my first one, I've said this a lot in the show, my, my first experience, my first two big weddings was with Colin Cowie and and then I started, I did one with, uh, I think back then with Marcy Bloom and I met Preston Bailey and I did a thing in Orlando where I met Sylvia Weinstock and, you know, I was starting to, and I had done several things with David Tutera. And so I, I thought, what if I could sit with them? Because I mean, they, like planners and photographers, I mean, don't get to see each other's work because you're always working, but I get to because I'm in this music business. I see all these planners, designers, photographers, cake designers, and I thought, well, maybe I have this interesting perspective and I love interviews. I mean, I don't know if I can do it. Maybe I can. <clears throat> so I thought I would give it a try, and um, long story short, it worked out pretty... It was really fast. I mean, after a, a couple local interviews in the Washington, D.C. area... My third interview was, those of you who know these names, Rebecca and Catherine, the founders of Engage, um, I was actually at a pod, going to a podcast conference in Orlando, and I went and was able to get Catherine and, and Rebecca to sit down with me. It went really well. They said, you got to come to Engage, and you could have access to all these great speakers. And from there, the whole thing kind of took off and exploded. And um, so I love it. It's been two, almost two years since I launched well, I love the fact that you mentioned Tim Ferriss because as an early adopter to your podcast and somebody who's kind of followed it for the last two years, I always really thought of you as the, the Tim Ferriss of the wedding industry because you've dedicated the last 24, 36 months to really interviewing and deep diving with the most prolific minds in our industry. And you always have this ability to kind of pull from them these really interesting pieces of information, whether it's a, a unique story about how they got started or a best practices piece or something, you know, something along those lines. And your show has been able to deliver this in really digestible kind of nuggets that somebody, whether they're an, an icon of the industry that's been around forever, if they're in that 10 to 15 year space, or even if they're just starting, there's a level of relatability to everything that, that you're putting out. So in terms of all the people that you've spoken to, what are the, the threads that you find that, that you feel like, okay, people with a level of longevity or people who've been really successful in our industry tend to, to do this? Well, first of all, thank you for, for comparing me to Tim Ferriss. That's a huge compliment. I appreciate that. We'll let him that. know afterwards. We'll text him or tweet him. <laughs> Give him a plug there. Um, but your question was, what, what, what are some of the common themes that I, between yeah. them all, right? Um, you know, I would say that the first one that just comes screaming out is how important personally connecting with their clients are. And it might sound obvious to a lot of people, well, of course you're going to connect, but the level at which the, the people I'm interviewing, the, the level at which they connect, I, I don't know what everyone in the world does, generally speaking, but that is like number one on their agenda. And I also believe that 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 is one of the big reasons why these particular people, whether it's Jose Villa or Sylvia Weinstock or, or Colin Cowie or David Stark, or I, I think the re, one of the reasons they're so successful 
is how comfortable and sincere, and you know, the big word today is authentic, how they are with their clients and the way they connect and they earn this very high level of trust. Um, and, and, and cause you know, people, I mean, my God, if we talk about if it's weddings or, or any kind of really special event, you know, you're, you are trusting your entire team, whether you hire them directly or the, the consumer, or they're getting them through a planner initially. And I mean, I, I, like, for example, I remember, um, interviewing Christian Auth and Andre Mayer and, um, and Jose Villa, you know, these photographers, uh, Andy Marcus also, and how all of them talked about how vulnerable, uh, it is for the couples to be photographed in this way. And that, especially the photographer, you've got to really connect with them. And, and everyone has their, let's say, technique. in particular, Matthew Robbins talks about how he, he not only goes to people's homes, you know, and can see the furniture, the decoration, the colors, how they dress themselves and personality, but he goes socializing with them. Not everyone told me that, you know, where he literally will go hang out, go to a movie, go to a concert with them, go to, and, and he's watching and experiencing throughout to get these little nuggets of who these people are so that he can then, as we all know, you know, find ways to, to kind of manifest them in a sense through uh, the, the, the setting up of their parties, the decor and all these different things and even who they bring onto the team. And so my long answer, my long winded answer to your question um, one of the first ones is, I would say, how they connect with their clients, first of all. Now, it's interesting because I think that with destination weddings being so much on the rise today, a lot of us, especially somebody who is a photographer and maybe traveling to a destination and they're located in one spot, the couple's located in another, and the wedding is in yet a third area, it becomes more difficult for us to have face-to-face interactions but when we're all trying to be authentic and when we're trying to present our truest selves it's really important to get that amount of face time with people yeah i agree and they talk about that too that you know whenever they have uh they they need to talk but for whatever reason they're not able to be in person they actually literally will make it face to face whether it's on the computer or facetiming on the phone you know some kind of a of a software program that allows them to see each other because yeah, it's 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 so much harder otherwise to really deeply connect, you know, and, and catch these little cues, these little social cues that are going on the whole time. You know, I also found that that, that this was really fun for me to to you know show itself was that the process of of how these various people in the industry are working with their clients becomes an experience for the clients, you know, and one of the biggest examples is, is Colin. I mean, when Colin, when I was getting his whole story and everything, he talks about the way in which uh, he meets his clients in the beginning. He's got like an intern who looks at pictures of them and goes outside and waits for them and then recognizes them getting out of the taxi or Uber or whatever, greets them by name, which is surprising to them, of course, but immediately it's setting a tone right there that Colin had someone come out and greet them. They bring them up in the elevator, the way they walk into the office, what they see, you know, and Colin has all these details of how he treats them in this first experience so that it is an experience. 
And, and I believe that's another really important element for people to be aware of is that it, it, it's, it, it's not just the night of the event, but it's every single touch point that you have with your prospective clients and then your clients, that becomes an experience for them. Well, we talk about that a lot, that it's, it's not just about the pretty, because the pretty in today's world you can buy anywhere, but it's more about the process. It's about the trust that you gain and the level of confidence you instill throughout the process so that getting to the pretty becomes, first of all, much easier, but it's also a more enjoyable experience for everybody. And it lends to a bigger story, which I think is something that, that do you see that in the people you're talking to, that there's a lot more focus on the story, whether not just the love story, but the story of how they came together as a team, what they did on this journey of planning the wedding, because it's so much more than just one night. Yeah, I agree. I think that actually sums it up really well, that that in itself is a story. And as they're creating the story, <laughs> it's from figuring out the story of the couple or of the, you know, if it's a corporate client, you know, what is the brand? What is the brand message? What is the story that they're trying to tell? Definitely all about storytelling. That's critical. And you know, again, this is not uncommon, but I, I remember Brian Raffanelli in particular saying several times, several times, he says, I am a storyteller. That's, he doesn't say I'm a planner, I'm a designer. He says, I am a storyteller. And that right there answers it, you know? I love it. Do you feel like the industry is, is expanding at a rate to where it's making these icons so much more impressive? I mean, I, I remember becoming aware of the Marcy Blooms and the Colin Cowies of the world it, when I started my, my business and, and my kind of interest in this industry. But it does feel like in the last five years, there's been this massive explosion and growth into specifically the wedding industry, but in events in general, it feels like there's just been such a wider level of respect for what it is that we as an industry do. Have you seen that as well? Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, I see that too. And it's almost become glamorous, you know, to get into this industry. And I think that uh, a lot of the newcomers who are getting into it for that reason, because of the, the popularity it's gaining, like if you look at over the, when you say the past five years, past five, 10 years of wedding reality shows and, you know, everything on TV and all these different uh, platforms uh, that people think it's glamorous and they get and they don't realize how much work it is. And I think a lot of them fall by the wayside. But, but yeah, I do think, I, if I remember the beginning of your question, that the, the as what we call icons are becoming, in a sense, more iconic or more popular as a result, especially of the TV shows. I mean, you know, like I, I interviewed Ron Ben Israel, and, you know, he had or has the TV show. And David Tutero, who was talking about what his next move is going to be with TV. And, and so, yeah, there's this whole kind of uh, some, some amount of celebrity level that's, start, that's happening at, you know, with certain people. Like I think Preston, who's been on the show twice, Preston you know, is perceived as a celebrity. Uh, Mindy Weiss, certainly, you know, and like David Tutero, certainly. And so it's, it's interesting. So, yeah, I think it's becoming more popular to the public. And I think that's helping all of us. Do you think it changes, though, the way that we run our businesses in terms of how we need to, to present, whether it's in with regard to 
contracting, proposing the work that we're doing, or anything along those lines is not this kind of fly-by-night experience anymore. I feel like it's forced everyone to level up the level of professionalism that they bring. Well, yes, but I would say that it's not just because of the popularity of it, but it's this incredibly changing world that we're in. I mean, and so many people, we, I talk about this, so many people in these interviews or these conversations um, about how quickly, not just technology, I mean, the technology certainly is changing uh, at, at crazy rates, but also just everything. I mean, everything. Like, there's this whole new question now about, um, I, I hate categorizing, but younger, let's say millennial and whatever's next after that, and how the buying needs or desires have changed, you know, for people coming up. I, I know even for me on the music side of, of my business that people have not, did not really grow up with bands as much. I mean, that right there changes the whole dynamic in the market. But, in, but overall for the wedding industry and the events industry as a whole, um, everyone I interview talks about this just constant need to kind of reinvent themselves which includes, like you ask, includes how we present our proposals and even how we price and everything. And, and, and then add to that social media and Instagram and Pinterest and how, because, you know, remember back, uh, which you and I remember, it was just magazines. That was the only time you'd see pictures of anything. And now people are uploading instantly and it's, it's everything is changing. So I think we have to constantly examine how we are not just running the business, but how we're presenting ourselves with clients and how we go after business. And matter of fact, I, I, not, I'm, I don't mean to be, keep making, bringing up names, but I mean, it is what I do. The, so I had a second interview with Colin uh, a few months ago that was released talking a great deal about, um, about the changing market and about how he is constantly having to re-up how he is presenting his, let's say, his solution. You know, he, he used to win a huge majority of the prospects, and it's not as many. People are shopping like crazy. Every aspect, as he says, of the market is saturated, whether it's bands or photographers or cake designers. You know, so, it, and this is not for us to uh, feel bad. Uh, it's just that we have to be aware that we have to constantly reexamine how we're doing our business. So, I mean, I don't, I have no issue with you bringing up names because the reality is you kind of traffic and move throughout that iconic space in the world. And when we look at something like best practices, how are these icons formulating any level of, of process when the world around them is, is changing so quickly? So it's one thing to say, uh, connect and to create an experience and storytelling, but when the world is spinning so out of control, it really means that you're constantly forced to level up and adjust. The best practice today is going to be totally different six months from now when a new platform emerges. You know, there's one specific tip I would say that I've heard from people uh, who was it, Eddie Zaratzian, and also hmm, there was another person who mentioned it, that they only give their presentations in person. Period. There is no emailing. Oh, Colin, I think, talked about it, too. Because we can't assume how people are going to interpret these proposals. And if they're, you know, they're all talking to three, four, five people, even a Mindy Weiss is going to be, in a sense, competing with, you know, whoever, Brian Raffinelli and Marcy Bloom. And, you know, people are getting... So one of the ways 
um, regardless of how the whole industry or the public keeps changing, is they got to get in person. Kind of comes back to that personal connection so that they present their proposal in a way that frames it the way they need it to be framed and taken in, you know? So that was it's, one of the things I got out of it. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I've noticed is that my last three very high dollar clients, which for me tends to be between a half a million and a million dollars, to close the business, I ended up flying to them and presenting my, my contract and closing up the process in person. Because I think that technology has desensitized us to so many things. You really need to just sit and look somebody in the eye and be able to kind of feel them in your space in order to be able to be comfortable, not just with handing over the, the money, and it's not to diminish the money, but the money at that level is never the driver. It's always the intangible that is important, and you can't communicate intangible with an email. Well, I don't think. I, well, and I would also, I agree with you completely. I would also add to that, it sent your, your potential client an incredibly powerful message that you got on a plane and flew over. It showed them how much you want to work with them. I was about to say how much you wanted their business, but I'd rather to frame it as how much you wanted to work with them. And so I think that's brilliant what you're doing, Andrea. And look, it's risky to get on a plane and do that. You know, it's funny, something related to this, I'm trying to think if I can give her name. I don't remember if she said it on the microphone or when we were off the microphone. Uh, it was a planner I had interviewed who was saying how she will, uh, just to even meet like directors of catering, for example, the Four Seasons and wherever, let's just say Dallas, let's just say that she wanted to meet that person and get referred. Um, she would uh, basically call and say, hey, I'm going to be in town during these three days. I would love to see you while I'm there. You know, and then the director of catering might think to themselves, oh, geez, she's calling to see me. She's already in town. Yeah, why don't I make some time? When she says yes, then the planner books the plane ticket and then calls other people and says, I'm going to be in town. And, you know, I mean, so, so I, these days I think we, it's not that we all have to spend thousands of dollars to fly all over the country, but it, it does take that extra kind of oomph, you know, to, to, to really go for it and put yourself out there. Which I think <laughs> it's one of the reasons that we all, well, not we all, but I think that one of the things that at a certain level we all start doing is we start attending these conferences. And some of them are domestic here in the States and some of them are international. I know that I've been attending Engage for the last nine years. I'm very, very fortunate and humble to be able to speak there. And I've seen you speak and, and kind of work there. And now you are also going to be speaking at the National NACE in July, correct? Yes, that's right. Yeah. So you are speaking specifically about podcasting. It's not entertainment-driven. That's right. That, uh, that talk, I'm trying to remember the exact title of it. It's, uh, it's something about it's, it's how to leverage podcasts to apply to your own, but like to marketing for your own business and, and things like that, because that is something you can do with a podcast. A podcast is often not the end uh, goal in itself in terms of monetizing you know, but it, it's, it's a great marketing tool or it can be um, for what your business is. So that's the topic. I'm also, while I'm there, what's starting to happen too, like it was just, I think it was a week ago, uh, WIPA, the Washington DC chapter brought me in to interview Carl Ray, who's a celebrity makeup artist. He's Michelle Obama's makeup artist and a lot of other people's. 
So I interviewed him in front of the crowd, which I really enjoyed doing. I'm going to release that, I think, May 18th, something like that, a couple of weeks. And so at NACE, I'm going to also, I'll speak on leveraging podcasts, but also I'm going to interview somebody there. Um, and, and I'm talking to now to other conferences about, about them bringing me in to do that as well. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about that. Uh, it's, the, you know, it's great that conferences are finally, finally uh, recognizing the huge power of podcasts. Now, when, for somebody who is a speaker, you're also going to be operating as an attendee. You're going to go to other classes. What advice can you have, do you give to somebody, whether it's going to a NACE or an Engage or a WIPA, one of these networking experiences? And how do you think people should approach them for maximum benefit? That is such a good question. Um, well, for me, especially, especially in the first, like, 30 that I went to or whatever I did, um, it's also, you know, at the same time, opportunity to network, obviously, great opportunity to learn. I always embrace that. To me, it was my master's degree, PhD, you know, going to these conferences. And one of the first things I would do is uh, absolutely get the schedule as much ahead of time as I could. And I would really take my time and I would go through every single one. I would read the descriptions. I would also look at who the speakers are because, you know, more and more as we get to know names in the industry, there were certain people I wanted to hear regardless of what the, the topic was, you know, so it was kind of a combination. So first piece of advice I would have for anyone, whether a newbie or experienced, is to pour through the schedule ahead of time and make some real definite decisions about what are your goals for going, what is it that you want to learn, and decide ahead of time which, which sessions you're going to go to. And then um, combining with that, I want to mention, Andrea, too, about networking. You know, there were certain people, I mean, there's different philosophies. I'm going to back up for a minute here. Um, it was Andre Mayer, wonderful photographer. Who I love I'm, him. Yeah, he's great. And I met him, and he's really different kind of guy. His interview was fascinating. Um, and I met him at uh, Engage in Banff, which was about a year ago. It was on the, the shuttle bus going from Calgary Airport to Banff. And we became great friends. I mean, I kept running into him. We had such a great time. So Andre and I, I can't remember. If, I think we did it on the microphone and off, but we talked about networking. And I'm going to come back to the conference thing in a second. But he was saying... He does not go with any targets, let's say, to meet or, or no specific goals. And this is one philosophy. Rather, he just wants to hang out with whoever he runs into, which gives him way less pressure. Because, you know, uh, most people feel pressure whether they admit it or not, you know, going into these situations. And so he just wants to go have a good time, see who he runs into. And basically, if there is a goal, it's just to make friends with whoever he runs into. If it leads to business, for him, that is secondary. But I would say, and I'm sure he would too, that by forging these deeper natural connections, they do lead to business in the end. Now, I was never like that. Like I am now, I'm much more kind of laid back like he is about it. And I, I don't know, I trust the universal force, you know, and I, I just love seeing who I'm going to run into and wild things have happened. But what I did most of my life going to conferences was very different. I would go through the timeline, the schedule, like I just talked about, and I would decide also who do I want to meet among the 
uh, speakers. And I literally would write on like one on one sheet of paper that I could carry with me at all times the list of the speakers I wanted to meet, something about them. And I got real anal about this. I would memorize what they looked like. And I would even, if there were a lot of them, I'd try to bring pictures with me. So, because, you know, you're seeing them in the hallways, which is way more powerful than, you know, hounding them after they speak with, with, in a big line of people. So I would have my list of speakers I wanted to meet, and I'd look for them the entire conference and try to meet them in very casual ways. That's the other part of it, is to approach them super chill. I mean, just really like, oh, oh hey, you know, and, and assume you're going to see them again. I would do that. I wouldn't think I had to conquer everything in one meeting. And I would see them a few times, and they would see that I'm being real laid back about it, which got me further. So, you know, there's, there's these different strategies. Like, there's Andre's approach. There's the approach that I used to do most of the time. Um, but but uh, giving it all this thought ahead of time is critical if you want to get the most out of it. So there's two interesting things on that, which are going to lead me to a question. Uh, the first is I, I love Andre. I think he's spectacular. I love dancing with him. I love hanging out with him. Um, <laughs> like he's, but he's a wild man. He's a crazy person. And I just adore that energy that, that he brings. I think when you're, when you're starting out and you're nervous, I mean, my first engage, I was terrified the first time that I went to a national NACE because you're walking in and you don't, know anyone and it's like it's grown-up camp and everybody knows each other and you're seeing people whose work you've admired and so having some level of a plan going in does kind of make you feel not so much emboldened but like okay I have my marching orders I know what I'm doing here I think once you've done it a few times and you're able to relax you understand that people like doing business with people they like all things being equal and all things not being equal, people like doing business with people they like. And we can tell who just wants, I mean, I know when I walk into a room that everybody there wants something from me. What they want is different. But when you remove that energy of this is transactional and you just go with the fact that like we all respect and love, we're all here because we love the industry. That's the point, like we love the industry. And if you remove the kind of handoff of, of power or money or referrals, and you can just connect on level. I think it's so important, and it, it, it serves you more in the long run. But over the years, have you found that, I don't want to say your heroes have fallen, but they say that if you're around long enough, your heroes will disappoint you. I've not yet been disappointed by any of my industry icons, but I have seen them humanized. And on one hand, it makes it makes me feel better about my work of like, oh, they're they're normal, just like me. But on the other hand, I have so much more respect for the fact that once I realize they're just like me, they just do this extraordinary client base, whether it's celebrity or royalty or something like that. It it puts so much more respect on the fact that at the end of the day, they're just a person who loves the work. Do you feel that? Yeah, I do. It's funny. People have asked me, do I even get anxious about interviewing these people? And I mean, the first couple, yeah, sure, just because I hadn't really interviewed before. Um, but ultimately, they really, you know, all these people are just people. And however, they have, uh, you know, I guess something common among the more successful ones are just how, well, number one, how long they've been at it and how hard they work at it, too. You know, just how hard. And and these are, you know, all of us in this industry, we're all very creative. And so, you know, it's also people who have figured out 
a very difficult part of it, which is how to how do you monetize it? How do you monetize your creativity in a sense? You know, to say it that way, how do you apply business? And and I'm going off on a little tangent from what you're asking, Andrea. But um, there's there's that also that aspect. They have like okay, I'll, two examples is Dave. Now I, I, you know, they're they're yes, they're regular people, but they. Um, their attitude, for example, about business, I think helps separate them and got them to this level, which is that, uh, again, I'm clearly going on a tangent, but it's a, it's a fun one. It, I remember when David said to me, I said, how, I don't understand, David, you're one of the ones that have scaled, like really big, and you're so creative. How are you balancing the business side? Isn't that kind of frustrating, the business? And he said, no. He said, no. I To me... I look at creating a business structure as a creative act. And I realized That's right there, genius. that changed, well, yeah, and that changed my life. But to answer, come back to your question, right there. So, he, yes, he's a regular human being out there who's highly successful with this business. He's very creative. But I think something that does separate him from a lot of people, and a lot, all, a lot of the people at this level are able to look at it that way, that the business, which if you don't do, you're not going to be able to, you know, promote and sell your product and your services. So he looks at it as creative. And then Brian Raffinelli said something, too, that knocked me out. Um, He said, this blew me away at the time, I I guess because I didn't feel the same at the time. He said that he enjoys the business as much as he enjoys the creative. And that shook me up because when he said that, I was especially at that time going through a period where I was so frustrated and burnt on the business side of it. It's like, oh, if I could only be creative, you know, like we'd like to say only. Um, but, but there's more to it. But then again, you mix what they both said. The business can be a very exciting creative aspect of what we do. So, you know, yes, everyone is, they're all just regular people. But I think that, that a lot of these people have a perspective that has been honed over time, and believe me, in painful ways. We have all, all of them, we have all been through the same challenges. And I want to say, too, still do go through challenges. I remember Preston, I think it was his second interview with me, was saying that only, I I can't remember when I released it some months ago, but he said something about how just three years ago he was going through a hard time in business. And, you know, I'm calculating in my head, well, that wasn't the recession. He had a Preston Bailey had a hard time three years ago. Are you kidding me? But he did, and we and we talked about that. I asked how he handled it, and it was a very interesting conversation. But um, we are all at no matter what level we're at, we're we're all dealing with changing markets. We're all dealing with just our own, you know, personal lives and and just the cyclic the cyclical nature of all of this that we all deal with. They're all dealing with it too. You know, we're all human in the end. And they're not superhuman. They just maybe have a, a different perspective on how to handle it and a lot of experience. So if there was going to be a best practice attributed to how to get out of either a rut or how to get through a time of struggle, what have you seen that all of these icons do? Is it just simply you can't beat someone who won't quit and so you persevere? Or do you see that they have all taken you know, a, a pattern of steps to get through the dip? Well, first of all, such a great question. First of all, the real great ones are anticipating this before there's a problem. Um, That's a real key element, uh, is to think about this before you're stuck in a major, you know, issue, whether it's the economy or or something else. 
And so they're thinking all along, what can I do to help mitigate risk? I mean, look, number one, we're all risk takers. No, I mean, I'm one of the biggest risk takers I know. Um, but still, how can we mitigate that risk and uh, maximize the upside potential? And, um, and a matter of fact, uh, Richard Branson talks about it in his book, uh, Losing My Virginity. It, it, there's great stuff about, about that. Um, but, but coming back to the issue at hand here, so we're all, everyone's thinking about how can they reinvent themselves. And, and I like to use the example because it's just so obvious to me, like Madonna, for example, Prince. I mean, there's many people. Um, but Madonna in particular would just over and over. And I mean, I wasn't necessarily a big fan, but I was a fan of how she would constantly reinvent herself. And she would do it. Remember, if, if we all think back to her career, there was no particular, you know, something going on in the music business. She would just suddenly, it would seem to us, come out with something completely, a whole different thing. And that's what kept her on top for so many years. And so in the event business and wedding industry, we have to constantly look at, you know, what can we do not only to reinvent ourselves, but here's the other side of it, is how do we, part of your question, how do we keep ourselves invigorated and rejuvenated? And so I, I remember just a couple of days ago, I did this Insta story. Um, I find myself, when I don't have appointments, in my office like all day, like, like a bullet train. I'm good lately. I'm going nonstop. And I come out maybe at five or six in the end, you know, I go, I step outside. It's like, oh my God, there's like air and sky and it's beautiful out here, you know, blooming flowers. So a couple days ago, I, I said, I've got to just take a break in the middle of the day. I, I, I'm going crazy. I have to get the hell out of here. I started to walk outside, and I immediately had an epiphany, like about my business, just a particular idea. And I picked up the phone. I did an Insta story about how, you know, I need, I, I, we just got to get the hell out, step outside, give yourself that break. And, and my point is that that is how I reinvigorated myself. It was for a moment, for one day. But if we do things on a regular basis, whether it's meditation or going to a concert or just making sure you have personal time with family, with relationships, I think that's really critical, too, to keeping everything um, really fresh. Rest and, and sleep, self-care, I mean, aside from all the hashtags about self-care Sundays, I think with Ariana Huffington and everybody putting such an emphasis on how important it is for us to be able to sleep and be able to rejuvenate <laughs> in order to operate at our highest self it's something that we hear about as lip service, but we're not always good at putting into practice in our industry. Do you see that the icons are really taking time to dial down? Um, you know, it, I mean, ironically, I don't, some of them I do think are, are some are, are operating like workaholics, but maybe they're in one of those cycle, you know, where they've got to work like that. Like lately, almost everyone I know is just overwhelmed and spread thin, you know, maybe because the season that we're in, I think that has something to do with the weather. I, I, I don't know, something going on here. Um, but yeah, getting sleep, stuff like that is, is really important. Uh, let's see, who is Allison Hotchkiss Rinder Connect um, out of San Francisco, who was on the show? She talked about how uh, every, she has a daughter and she's a single parent. Uh, I mean, I think maybe she's living with a, a guy now, but. Um, but every single, uh, or, or no, she's dating. But anyway, every morning she takes like a 45 minute bath with her daughter. Uh, her daughter is, I forget how little girl, how old she is. And she has this incredible tub out on the back porch and it's private out there. And, but it's outside and it's the first thing in the morning. 
and she connects with her daughter. And it's this beautiful 45 minutes every morning. And that really struck me as what an incredible way to start your day. And, and, and Allison is a destination planner. She's traveling constantly and she makes that time and she makes sure that she's home a lot. And, and then she has, again, other ways. She used her daughter as an example of how she keeps connected with her and how that really grounds her. And so, you know, I think it is different from person to person. I think, again, we're all human. So some of these, as we call them icons, are struggling with balance themselves. Um, but I do really respect the ones that are able to figure out how to make more time for themselves. And I think in the end, it's going to help them be more successful and happy, too, and content. What are you, I mean, I think we're, we're talking a lot about these icons, but I'm interested in you. What are you curious about and excited about it whether it's the next six months through the end of this year or going into 2020 what has you kind of feeling inspired what are you looking at these days wow <laughs> that's a good question andrea well all right sticking with the podcast for a moment um i mean i'm really passionate about this i love being able to help other people in the industry to get more education and inspiration that's really important to me and and I like to go, you know, as you know, because I know you listen to my, my interviews, I, I like to go really deep and vulnerable. And, uh, and I love when people get welled up and myself get welled up. And because, and, you know, that's what's the most important, what really connects our hearts. And so one of the things I'm excited about is I am constantly learning, constantly learning. I mean, I've done now, I don't even know, 100 interviews. And I had another show that I, I, I stopped temporarily. I had like 40 there. But still, I'm constantly looking to improve. Like, what can I do to do an even better interview, you know, and, and get more information out there to all of us who are listening? And, and so, honest to God, it has been, I launched two years ago, and I am, I mean, you're saying the next six months, but the whole time since the beginning, I am just ecstatic. I'm so excited about this. I love uh, hanging out with these people in the industry and going to conferences and meeting uh, even brand new people and talking and sharing ideas. And, um, and so I am constantly excited with this podcast. Um, so that has really helped to just simply, you know, take my passion and reignite it. And, and I can, it, you know, it's, it helps me in my music business and the music business helps me in the podcast business. And so, you know, you get invigorated in one area, you kind of bring it to other areas. And so same thing with the music side. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I kind of jump back in even heavier again with all my, my bands. I mean, they're super high level and I'm, you know, I'm just checking up on them and we're, we're all talking about what can we do to improve things and coming up with new ideas and, you know, different performance ideas and stuff like that. So, you know, really to answer your question, it, nothing completely brand new. I just feel so, again, invigorated from the passion with the podcast. It's, it's going everywhere in my life. As far as brand new, uh, like I don't want to pre-announce too quickly, but there's things I'm doing with this podcast that I am just beside myself with excitement where I'm going with it. Um, a little too soon to announce, but there's things coming definitely in this year and 2020 where this is going to go to a whole nother place, the, 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 the podcast, where there's going to be like real products and services for people to get a hold of that's going to really help them in their careers and their lives. Like, like you might know, Andrea, some of the interviews I do are not just people in the industry, but people who are really not motivational speakers. I'm not really into that, but people who can help with 
um, ideas on marketing and social media and mindfulness. And, and you know, I'm, I'm getting super high-level people with this so that we can all integrate all of these aspects into what we do. So my excitement in the next six months is just, I mean, keep on doing and, um, and, you know, what can I do that's different and on the edge and breaking boundaries and stepping out of the box. That's what excites me the most. Well, considering how much you have going on and how much you're growing and building right now, really for us as an industry, I know that this focus was somewhat about the icons that are out there, but in the podcast world for wedding businesses, for B2B and even B2C, I think that what you did was incredibly groundbreaking and you really paved the way for so many others, myself included, to say, I have a voice and now I have a place to use it. So for that, I thank you for the amount of time you gave me and the listeners this afternoon. I thank you. I am super excited about all of the speaking engagements that you have coming up. I will not be seeing you at NACE, um, and then you won't be seeing me at this engage, but hopefully by December, you and I will find ourselves in the same corner of the world because I really just, as much as I follow you, on the digital world when you talk about authentic experiences there's nothing like sitting down and having a cup of coffee or a glass of wine or something even stronger together so i look forward to being able to get some face time with you once again and i thank you for being here can where where would you like people to find you follow you where is your favorite place to interact well, first of all, Andrea, I have to respond to what you just said. So, for, so uh, you're, thank you so much for everything you just said. It's really sweet of you. And, um, and, and you know, I know, by the way, that you are really great at what you do in the business thank as a you. planner designer. And I would love to have you on the show. Can I interview one, you one day? Done. A hundred percent. Yes. <laughs> okay. Because I know you're tearing it up out there out of thank Vegas. You. So I'm going to do that. Um, so yeah, so, so in terms of where to reach me, uh, for the podcast, you could follow us on Instagram and Facebook at wedding biz show. Now that's not the name of it, but for the handle, it's wedding biz show. And then, uh, to, uh, subscribe for free on your podcast app, look for the wedding biz, B I Z the wedding biz. Uh, the website is the wedding so those are really the best ways to uh, to follow us, and definitely follow us on Instagram because again, I'm things are ramping up, and uh, we're going to be gradually announcing more and more through that platform too. So, yeah, would love to have you all join us. That was Andy Kushner with the Wedding Biz, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for joining us. Stay tuned; we've got a lot coming up. We're super excited by all of your involvement, and we look forward to continuing to celebrate life, luxury, and above all else, love. You guys have a great weekend.